Today, we have Aaron Deedling on the show, and together we explore how trauma goes into the cells and tissues of the body, our personal stories of early and pre-birth trauma, and the power in healing these, how the soul moves out of the way in early life trauma, and clearing out the beautiful garbage of what's stuck in the body so that we can fully trust and be in our psychic and energetic gifts. Also included is an intuitive glance of the podcast community and who's connecting in. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. This episode may not be for all audiences, just be mindful that it includes a discussion of sexual trauma and suicide. This episode is sponsored by the Embodied Healing Group Call that happens once a month. It is a monthly group to enjoy embodied support, empowering connection, and healing guidance for developing your intuition, being at ease in your body and spirit, and tapping into your somatic wisdom and ancestral healing around anything you're experiencing or challenged with each month. You can find out more about this group, which is $55 a month, and all the proceeds support the creation of the podcast at candiswoo.com slash Patreon. Well, it's really an honor to have Erin Deedling on the show. She has been someone that I've admired from day one. I find her to be incredibly magical, um, spiritual, and connected. And whenever she tunes into something, I just feel like she's right on. Um, sometimes she receives information, messages that happen even before I know it. And it's so exciting to hear from her. Erin is a gifted clinical psychotherapist, energy healer, and psychic medium in Chicago, working in two worlds, the science and spirit world. She loves working with the inner baby, with touch regulation, and the neurosequential stages of development. She works with past complex trauma, eating disorders, and also supporting her clients to manifest their dreams and bringing in love, joy, and beauty. She paints, writes, and swims, and uh, it's just a joy to be around. So without further ado, here is Erin. Okay, so I have Erin Deedling on the show, and I'm super happy to have you here, Erin. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. I'm, I'm so enjoying getting to know you through your work and through your travels, and I'm really thrilled to be on your show. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise, I, I'm really enjoying getting to know you through Word Up, which is <laughs> a show for healers from a healer. Um, but first, let's go all the way back to when I first met you. I, I met you while you were assisting at Somatic Experiencing Training. And um, I don't know if you know this, but when I met you, I was just floored by you and your energy and excited by the questions you were asking me. 
and bringing up with me like instantly. I don't even know how you knew it, but of course you knew it. And you were like, you're an energy worker. How do you combine everything? And like, I was and so away. this conversation opened up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so happy you were there. It was like, oh, oh thank goodness. <laughs> I couldn't believe I, when I met you, I was like, who is this? How does she know all of this? Oh my goodness. And I, it, I got so, um, interested in how you're combining all these different things and also keeping them separate in the different, you know, the clinical world and the spiritual world. And I was just like, who is she? I need to know her. (laughs) And, but also there's that, um, that from psychic schools, like, don't, you know, don't get in someone's space and like try to grab their answers because their answers aren't for you. So I always had that sort of like, don't be a space invader, but I was so fascinated (laughs) by you right off the bat. So sounds like it was mutual. (laughs) It was absolutely mutual. So I'd love to hear your journey of how you got to where you are today. You're not only a therapist, you're an energy worker, you're psychic, and you do all sorts of um, powerful healing and transformation with people. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a wild thing to hear yourself described that way. Uh, I, I sometimes is it accurate? I, I, it's accurate. It's just like wow. Oh, I I guess I do all that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but it's, it's like one when time I asked you, "What do you do?" You you listed all these things, and I was just floored. And I remember, like, I very profoundly remember organ channel heal- healing and organ healing, and um. Now I can't list the other ones, but I'd love for you to share that. Oh, well, thank you. Um, Well, I have a clinical practice. Um, I'm a clinical psychotherapist, and uh, I'm trained in very much... uh, The same thing you're trained in is somatic experience, which is very body-focused, nervous system-focused. It's a lot about why animals in the wild don't get post-trauma, and humans do. And um, I do think that domestic animals or domesticated animals aligned to their humans and can, you know, have post-trauma um, mm-hmm. because they're aligned to their humans. But um, it's a lot about mm-hmm. what didn't get to happen in that, you know, the big event and how do you slow it down and hear the nervous system and listen to the body because the body has so many of the answers. Um, so there's, there's that piece, which also um, led me more into clinical touch work uh, neurobiologically based and neurosequentially based um, modality where uh, it helps uh, one of the many things it does it's working a lot with the HPA axis hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis the three main uh, players of the nervous system the three musketeers of nervous system regulation and mm-hmm. um, a lot of times when there's baby trauma or developmental trauma developmental ruptures from even pre-birth up through adulthood, um, there's more of a body narrative than there is a talking narrative or a a visual narrative. And that modality has taught me how to work with the inner baby. I I don't work with children, um, like actual chronological children. I work with the inner babies and the inner children of the adult. And I, I say that with full respect. Um, I, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, uh, 
yummy work. I look at my own attachment style and I think it's perfect for me because I don't actually have children. Um, I helped raise my little brother. I had a lot to do with his upbringing, but I wasn't his actual parent, you know, supporting him and financially or whatever. But I was, I see uh, how (laughs) I can be an ideal parent maybe (laughs) in a clinical setting, but then they don't go home with me. You know, I'm not responsible for, um, having to do the care that the hard work that parents do, you know, I'm, I'm more, yes, I'm in theory, but I'm also in practice. And so parents have, I, I think being parent is an incredibly sacred, hard job. And I get to sit in my ivory tower and learn all this stuff. And then people come in with their baby trauma and I get to help raise the baby or go into those neuro sequential places, meaning certain stages have to be passed to get to the next one. And if we don't pass those stages, sometimes the the later stages collapse down on the one that maybe um, is is where the learning needs to take place next. I'm just catching in on that because I think that this kind of education is so important for understanding what um, the impact of trauma can be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with everything going on around um, families being separated at the border, oh I hear... I even hear psychologists on TV saying this is traumatic, but I, I have this sense that they're, they're not exactly even speaking to this neurosequential um, development that you're speaking about and somatic development, as we know, how the body experiences the trauma and cannot get out of it without certain support. Well, it, it was amazing to me that on the big news channels that physicians and psychiatrists were going on, uh, medical doctors um, talking about the body impacts and nervous system impacts on these little kids at various ages being separated from their parents and how that can affect their health mm-hmm. long term. And, and that it was so mainstream that this ACEs study, um, adverse child experience um, study, which actually started out from Kaiser Permanente to be a study on weight management and obesity and why do some people get obese and others don't. And it turned into a trauma study that they didn't end up, they didn't foresee that it would become that. And what they noticed is all the health problems that can come up mm-hmm. from in adults that had adverse con- consistent or either big adverse experiences or consistent over time experiences such as being separated from parents at the border, neglect, abuse, oppression, all of that, poverty even, you know, can start to look Mm -hmm. like trauma. Absolutely. And then energetically, how I see that, you know, in the other half of my life where I'm doing energy work, sometimes I see there's a clinical piece and there's an energy piece uh, in how I have perspective on it. Um, Clinically, you know, there's even a local doctor here in Chicago that wrote a book on fibromyalgia, and he firmly believes some of the syndromals and somatic experience talks about this in the trainings is a lot of the syndromals um, stem out of uh, baby trauma or developmental trauma uh, in that mm-hmm. the trauma doesn't have a place to go. So it goes into the tissues or the child will absorb it and they don't have a place to put it or they try to put it someplace or, you know, (laughs) um, beat up the punching bag and told that's not polite or, and so it goes deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper into the tissues until it gets to the cellular level. And it's all, and then at some point it's almost like the body turns on itself 
because it doesn't have a place to put all of this energy or this neglect or the love it didn't get. You know, there are some physicians that have written books, such as The Deepest Well is all about the ACEs study. Um, I think it's Dr. Nadine Burke, I think her last name is. Um, she wrote The Deepest Well, which is all about the ACEs study and her experience with little kids who come from oppression and neglect and abuse. Uh, and her story is very hopeful in the book. Um, you know, there's also like when the body says no, I think that's Gabor Mate. Um, Bessel van der Kolk has the one, um, the body keeps the score. And then even a local physician at Whole Health Chicago in um, Dr. David Edelberg wrote a book on fibromyalgia and his, you know, he back in the seventies, long before anyone was, you know, before any of this was mainstream, he was saying, I firmly believe things like fibromyalgia are, it, it can be trauma caught in the tissues. It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I think empirical science will catch up to these theories. And, and then energetically, I think sometimes it's like, well, I agree to be in a body. Um, you know, I come from this unlimited place. I didn't anticipate all this stuff that would happen. It's kind of bigger than I thought it would be having a human body. Um, so let me get a little bit out of the way. Let me send part of myself away. Or um, I've seen this sometimes with childhood sexual abuse where the child will remove themselves uh, from the situation or remove their soul. Like, okay, fine, you can have my body, but you can't have mm-hmm. my soul. Mm-hmm. There's the preservation. Mm-hmm. And then they just keep moving out of the way and moving out of the way and moving out of the way until there's, you know, like there's not a lot of them left to interfere with, say, um, dis-ease that comes into the body. And I, I, I recently you know, did some healing work with someone who, um, had inoperable cancer and, and she's like, you know, I've done all the medical stuff, but I'm totally into energy. And her caregiver sent her to me for a session. And that was, it was really clear that she had moved out of the way and, and even like, okay, you can have my body. I'll just move out of the way. Okay. You can have my boundaries. I'll just move out of the way. And even with the cancer cells, it's like, okay, fine. You know, I won't be a problem. And, and so as she started to come back in, um, the, the tumors, you know, my understanding is the tumors are starting to shrink. I mean, she's doing work with a whole care team. Mm-hmm. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm responsible for that or mm-hmm. necessarily had to do with that. Uh, but it's what I saw when I was doing a reading and a healing. Yeah. And do you see that as the, perhaps she's finding that it's safer now or that the yes. healing can happen now? Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. Like coming back in her body. She's, uh, yeah. Um, she's, she's a powerful, powerful lady. And, um, and so she's, she's coming back full force. Um, but I mean, slowly, you know, dipping her toe in and like, okay, is that, yeah, I like that. <laughs> and yeah. t- to see her come alive and displace the cancer, it's something. That's beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. She's beautiful. She's she's a just the gentlest, kindest, most loving spirit, and um, and now she's also and she's also becoming a badass. <laughs> <laughs> she's finding her inner badass, her inner cancer fighter. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, if we just kind of backtrack a little, Erin, I want to hear about your life and how you journeyed into being a healer and psychotherapist, what inspired you or what really draws you to this work and, and where, what was your story before um, being in this 
place in your life? Well, it, it's so interwoven with the energy piece. So if I, I'll, I'll try to be brief. It's kind of long. I'll start there. Um, but uh, as a kid, I was having, I w- could read and feel energy and it wasn't always pretty. Like we had lived in a house where um, a major event and actually a murder had taken place and we had just moved to Louisiana. Um, the, the house where we were going to move into wasn't built yet. So we were renting a house and I was feeling all of this really scary stuff in the house. And my mom took me to the priest and the priest was like, no, leave her alone. She has gifts. She has a language that she speaks that needs to be protected and nurtured. I know you don't, he said to my mom, I know you don't understand that, but this was a priest who did exorcisms. I mean, he was, he was a badass, and wow, he was, uh, he was protective and, um, he sent me home and my mom, had a think on that and was like, okay, great. I don't understand this, but I, there's also a, a part of me as a child that's like, oh, this is a little much for my mom. So maybe I should dim some of this down. In Louisiana, it's state law. If you know the home is haunted and you are selling your home, you have to disclose it to the new buyers. But we were just okay. renters. And <laughs> the, <laughs> so we weren't privy. We, we were not made aware uh-huh. that something, and I won't, tell the details because they're pretty horrific. Um, but I would feel it in the home and I would feel the guy walk down the hall and I'd feel him peer into my room and then I'd fall asleep terrified. That's really scary as a child and not having someone maybe that knows exactly what's going on. Right. And I didn't have words to describe it. I didn't understand. Um, I would try to describe it, which is when my mom took me to the priest and then, mm-hmm. fortunately, I mean, the, here's the thing. Validation can go a really long way. So uh, we're on the school bus, going to school, and we'd been living in the place six months. And one of the kids was like, oh, you live in the murder house. And it's like <laughs> everything kind of popped because it was like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. That's oh, what I'm not crazy. Uh, I mean, in third grade, I wasn't thinking I was crazy. I was just scared and feeling things. Yeah. And I felt things that were positive, too. And it kind of started you know, to the bigger story of how I got to be a therapist. So I indirectly started there. Um, and I pick up on things and I think I dimmed it down a bit. And um, we, you know, we moved into the house, got some growing up done. And the first couple of weeks of being a new student in high school, um, we were at mass. I grew up in a really Catholic family. And um, we found out at mass that the boy who had just been over to our house the day before um, my brother's best friend had committed suicide and he had stopped by the house to say goodbye, but we didn't know that's what he was doing. Oh. My brother was saying, you know, he just seemed really happy. He, he'd seemed happier than he'd ever seen him. And as you know, you know, background and energy and being a clinician, he had decided. And they, they talk about that kind of almost like a, a glow and no one knew. I also was madly in love with my brother's best friend and oh my goodness. I never I never told anyone so my family doesn't tend to listen to things like this so I, I don't think they'll find out but <laughs> he was very very kind to me and he was a star student he was a star athlete but just really kind heart and beautiful ethics and beautiful spirit and I would <laughs> I even like ride my bike past the house and I'd communicate with him like hey what's up Brian how you doing How's how's heaven? How do you like it? Where are you? And and I would feel like he was answering me. 
And um, my parents had noticed that I was having a rough time. And I had been through some trauma as a little kid, which is also, I think, why I picked up on energies. Because when you're through a trauma, I'm kind of, I know I'm telling this in and out of time a bit. And it Mm -hmm. all meets up somehow. Yes, it will. I think when a kid goes through trauma, and some kids have abilities and don't go through trauma, but I think we send a part of ourselves way, way far away. And then we have, we still have kind of cell phone communication with that part of us that goes far, far away. And it can make us very attuned to energy and where's mm-hmm. the next thing coming from or where, where do I need to be on defense? Or um, I think you also yeah. get really high level help when you're going through a trauma. Right. And it, and it seems to me that having a part of you far, far away um, and having that communication, the line of communication is open and the, the energetic boundary of the part of you that's human, I, not human, but on the ground mm-hmm. in the body mm-hmm. um, is open then to what else might be coming through. Yep. But you said high level support. Is that what you said? Yeah. If you, if you pull back and look at some of, even if, when I pull back and look at, say, um, you know, when I was a little tyke and there was sexual abuse going on when I, and that happened, I'm sorry, that's a big detail to drop. Um, I look and I see how much help, how, how surrounded I was, um, that maybe spirit wasn't overriding the will of the abuser or the rapist. Um, but it also was going to be supportive because that maybe wasn't entirely my will to be, you know, a toddler being raped. Um, and so when mm-hmm. I pull back and actually sort of look at what the bigger picture, I had so much help and I was so lifted up and it was even healing the abuser. Like, Oh, that looks awful here. Let me take that. <laughs> but then it doesn't feel mm-hmm. so good. And that's where I think some of the, the ickiness later, the, some of the, the heaviness, the anxiety, the depression, um, when I entered high school or even late grade school, my parents just saw I wasn't thriving and they didn't understand why. And when the thing happened with my brother's best friend, um, they said, wow, you know, let's take her, let's, let's get her some help. Um, my brother had been in therapy and they, they thought, you know, maybe Erin needs to be in some therapy too. And they went to go see the therapist and told her what was going on. And I had no idea that she knew for years. She said, you know, based on what you're telling me, I think your daughter's been through sexual abuse at least once. Um, I think she's had some, at least one big trauma. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that they knew. And they're like, how, when, where, who, how is this possible? What, where did we not see? So they were holding onto this information for years before I had the, the full cognitive, I, my body remembered and I would get flashes and I would say things I didn't remember saying about the events, about the rapes. Um, Mm -hmm. And then later when my mom would remind me things that I would have like um, those Freudian slips, I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, I do remember saying that. So there was some part saying help, help. And so they brought me to this wonderful therapist, Dr. Hagen, who was a a clinical psychologist. And um, I just, I wanted to be her. And she encouraged me to do exactly, exactly that (laughs) (laughs) over the years. (laughs) So I saw her from oh. 14 um, all the way through college and grad school. And I still write her every now and again and just thank her. I don't know where I'd be without her. And she was such a force in, in just such an advocate. 
And she's seen every member of my family now, I think, um, because she was the one clinical psychologist in this small town, which is now a much bigger town. And, you know, she was really good at keeping boundaries and really good at keeping secrets. The things she, that woman must know about so many families and she never slipped. You know, she was so buttoned up and so the utmost professional. And she encouraged me in college. I was interested in literature and therapy. And uh, she, and I started taking pre-med. She's like, why are you, t- what's with this pre-med stuff? Because my grades started to go mm-hmm. down. I loved the poetry of organic chemistry and the poetry of physics, mm-hmm. but I couldn't cut the math. <laughs> and she's like, why are, what, what's with the medical thing? What's with medical school? And I said, if you listen to most yeah. people, they will diagnose themselves. And she said, Erin, you don't have to go through the punishment of medical school to, to listen to most people. Like, I think you'd be, she said this word, she said, I think you'd be a virtuoso. I was like, I'm a terrible listener. How could I possibly be a therapist? And she's like, I don't know, Erin. Oh I think you should, I think you'd be surprised. And um, I find that I have a, in the moment in the clinical room, I can listen and be very even hyper-focused, not, not in a like yeah. <laughs> scrutinizing kind of a way, but I can, I, I notice, you know, you know who it is. It comes over you. Yeah, it, it does. You're in that space. And then it sounds like you're listening with not just your ears, but just all many levels of your being yes. and receiving information from images and sense and all sorts of energy mm-hmm. and other cues and the body, yes. of course. And I was steered away from it because I didn't think I could cut it. I didn't think I could be her or like her. And um, she saw and she encouraged me. And um, what is, what is it? The, the, the joke, how do you regulate a therapist, put a client in front of them? Isn't that? (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, when people are exhausted at some of the trauma conferences and you have to go and um, do a practice group, it's amazing how mm-hmm. people have just done some of their own, maybe you've had this experience where they've done a lot of their own work and they're emotionally exhausted and then it's time to be the therapist or, and it just, and they're, they're ready to go and <laughs> put them in the therapist chair. And- <laughs> I, that, that happens to me, you know, traveling a lot. As I told you before the call, there are just different stressors that happen mm-hmm. and um, things that are going on that are out of my control and very unpredictable. Yeah. And sometimes I'm dealing with something and I surprise myself even as to how present I can be with a client, even like minutes after that. I do try to give some buffer time yeah. and ground myself and do all sorts of yes. self care. But it's, if I'm down to the wire and I have to just turn on, I, I can't. <laughs> and I, <laughs> it's really great. It, it just, it kind of comes over you. And there, there's an equal and opposite joke or equal and other joke about uh, how do you keep a psychic occupied? How do you keep a psychic busy? Give them a problem to solve or put a, <laughs> put a client in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erin, I'm curious if, if you want to go here, when you look at your whole life spiritually, spiritually, energetically, yeah. how do you set these major aspects of your life, some traumatic and some very um, profound, it sounds like, and beautiful, into an understanding of what's going on for you and why you're here? I think I'm here <laughs> to 
help with this lifting up the planet to help with this raising the vibration and as people's gifts are turning on more and more i i hope and it, that's one of the things i want to do with my show is connect people to resources i mean i connect people i i've connected people to marriages mm-hmm. i've connected people people call me up for all kinds of things that have nothing to do with therapy or therapy referrals or energy referrals. They're like, do you know I'm a good mechanic? Do you know? Like I just, (laughs) so I think one of my missions that's just sort of part of who I am that I don't think about is to connect people and to connect them to each other and to resources. So that's, I think that's maybe part of the spiritual mission that I don't think about much because I just do it. And natural, mm-hmm. but also in getting the the planet and the spirit of the planet to the newer place that we're bringing it to, and um, you need some way showers and some healers and planetary healers like yourself, where you can travel and ground different parts of the earth and help touch the people, you know, energetically or emotionally in those different parts mm-hmm. of the world, like you're doing. I haven't quite figured mm-hmm. it out either. I, I, yeah, <laughs> with developmental <laughs> trauma, that's the big thing. Like, why, why am I here? What, why am I? Right. It's so much easier to be in spirit, but I chose body and, you know, I've, I've had a near death experience at least one. And I'm like, no, no, I'm here. I want to, I want to stay. I'm here for a reason. <laughs> I'm not dying. Yeah, I'm not dying right. in this place. I'm going to fight through. Um, I had a really bad, really bad food poisoning. Um, that uh, almost killed me. And uh, I remember the angels coming and I remember like the start of the white tunnel. I'm like, Nope, (laughs) not going, not, no, thank you. (laughs) I know it's a really beautiful, magical place, but not yet. (laughs) So, wow. That gave me a clear choice. Yeah. That gave me a lot more (laughs) fight. And I didn't know anyone. I was, um, I was in Bali by myself and I didn't know anyone and I'm like, I'm not going to do that to my family. I'm not going to die where no one knows that I'm here and no one would know I'd be dead. And that sounds true. Through that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got. I'm so glad you didn't die. <laughs> I choose to die. <laughs> the world needs you. <laughs> the world needs you. <laughs> and you get to have your life. Mm-hmm. That's. Yeah. And, and I so, that was very healing too, though, to, to, uh-huh. because I think with developmental trauma, there is a lot of that resignation. Like, you know, I'm not going to hurt myself, but if I go in my sleep, no problem. And that's normal, actually, for developmental. That's you've, well, I don't, I don't want to say what, I don't want to maybe <laughs> gloss over and say that's always normal, but it's quite common to find with developmental trauma, people who aren't quite fully in life and aren't quite committed, mm-hmm. that there's a little piece of them that's away or a little, and now when like my brother's friend, when you actually start taking steps, that's a whole other story. With developmental trauma, it's a little bit more resignation or collapse. It's not so much, I'm going to do this and make this happen. Mm -hmm. The near-death experience definitely fixed me of the wanting to go, wanting to fade away. So it was a healing in that sense because it it brought back my fight, which is a big principle of somatic experience, right? And why animals in the wild don't get post-trauma is because they um once they come out of that collapse or that play dead state that automatic physiological state of freeze or shock or in possums like playing dead uh there's a there's a scary fight that comes behind it it's it's scary to go into freeze it's really scary to come out because it's so big 
Yeah. And it's so interesting that you're coming out of freeze or parts of you coming out of freeze in that situation were and, and the fight, the fight, I don't know how you'd characterize it, but from the outside, um, the fight had to do with the food and the nourishment. Mm. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> So true. That's just interesting to me because like yeah. it's not it wasn't about the sexual trauma or about X, Y, or Z. That was it was yeah. about the food. That and that was a big piece to work on after it and to recover my yeah. gut. It took me 10 years to get my gut back. Um not it took me that, a couple of years to get it back from that food poison. It was being able to receive nourishment has that's that shows up a lot with developmental trauma, like deserving nourishment, deserving warmth, deserving love, um, you know, being mm -hmm. worthy of having a body, being worthy of kindness. Like those are big items. In, in, They're huge yeah. and in the developmental the, and life <laughs> in general. Yeah. And sometimes I will find both in myself, but also, in, you know, clients are often a reflection of us. Uh, that receiving the kindness, receiving the good words, receiving the nourishment, that um, it's almost painful to take it in. If you're used to not or not having it, you start to make subconscious um, rules about, well, I, I, if I can't take it in or if I didn't get the nourishment, I must not deserve it, you know, and mm -hmm. that these messages from the hypnotic state we're in, you know, like the mind's in a little hypnotic state until about three or four years old, some, sometimes until about seven, where we just absorb what the big people are doing with no challenge. Like, oh, that's how to do relationship. That's how to do nourishment. That's how to do love. That's um, how to do work. That's how to do money. And then we just walk around and it, it goes into the, and then it embeds and we're in the wired for that. And, and then it's right. like, how did I, how did I end up in my parents' marriage? Or how did I become, you know, my grandpa, how did it's wired or it got wired in. And then we, there's like an autopilot that can come up unless we start to come in and challenge it or overcome or make our choices. So when you're doing inner baby work, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm thinking about inner baby and pre-birth. Yeah. And what do you find interesting mm -hmm. about, or how do you work with pre-birth, prenatal, and um, the whole period before you're actually in the womb or born? Yeah. Um, well, I, there are two, uh, two answers to that. There's the clinical and there's the energetic. And there are a lot of places where the clinical and the energetic overlap. Um, I actually have a questionnaire, a document that I ask, like, what was going on in your life? Uh, what was going on when you were gestating? Uh, politically, what were the popular songs? What were what was in the culture um, where your mom was gestating with you? Was it safe? Like, were, you know, was mom in a war zone? Was were there natural disasters? Was it was it just the most wonderful experience ever? I like to emphasize. I, I don't like to lead people into the negative stuff. The questionnaire just kind of <laughs> asks generally, like, what was happening politically? Did your mom have certain cravings? Um, how did they find out that they were pregnant with you? Um, what were you told? There's And the thing is, the little one, from the time the nervous system starts to develop, it will start to uh, record sensation 
whatever people believe, and I don't mean to step on political or religious toes, um, just from when the nervous system will begin to register sensation once it, once it's formed enough to register sensation. And I actually, personally, I've gone back and I remember trying to climb up <laughs> my mom's, I, I was in a session in somatic experience when I was uh, an SE student. And uh, I was like, I, I, I think this looked a little heavier than I anticipated. So I tried to climb up my mom's spine, but I didn't have hands. And the woman looked at me and she goes, look at your hands. You don't have hands yet. And my, my, my fists were like rolled in and it, it was like my wrists were sticking oh, out. And, yeah. um, and I said, but there was almost like an wow. energetic, nope, you're staying. And I like to think in energy, we have a lot of choice. And so I'm not sure what made that choice for me, but I felt uh, overridden. And because I feel like the little ones come from this magical unlimited place. And it's like, yeah, great. I'll take a body. No problem. Whoa, gravity. <laughs> oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all that, you know? What's all this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so I was like, no problem. Sexual abuse. I got that. I'm an unlimited being. It'll be fine. When I get out, look out. And then I was like, Ooh, this is bigger than I oh, thought. Oh my goodness. Right. <laughs> so that was my, my experience, but getting to work with, um, with the inner baby and the pre-birth, um, I'll ask people like, what do you know? What do you know about your gestation? What do you, you know, did, are there funny, fond stories that your parents have told you? With adopted kids, um, it it gets interesting if they don't know about the birth parent, but their little nervous systems were there. And so it, their little systems were recording sensation and recording the field and the level of acceptance around them being um, the anticipation of their birth. Like, are, it was their joy all around. Was everyone thrilled? Couldn't wait. Mm -hmm. Like when my baby brother was uh, announced, I was just on pins and needles. I couldn't wait to meet this little guy or girl. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. And there was just so much. Uh, he healed the whole family, you know, coming in and <laughs> totally oh, wow. unexpected. I had given up praying for a little brother or sister. I was like, oh, that's never oh. going to happen. And years later, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's the age difference? 13 years. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, you had given up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was the baby <laughs> and then he came along and oh. I got to help raise him. We all got like my older brother and I got to name him and he was so wanted. And, um, and so his kids, <laughs> um, now that now he has kids and so I get to be the auntie but in some ways they feel almost like I, I hear all the grandparents describing the experience and I'm like it kind of feels like that too because I raised him I helped raise him and yeah. we all did wow. he had four parents <laughs> my parents oh, that's a lot of parents. and my older brother and me oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well Aaron one of the most profound experiences that I've had with pre-birth I, I did that when I, I had no idea about energy, really. I mean, it was just very early on. I was doing EMDR with a therapist, and she was like, let's work on being in the womb. Because all of the work that we'd done already was the early trauma work mm -hmm. and early development and infant, inner baby, everything. And then she's like, let's go farther. Whoa. And I was like, what did you, I was how just was like, that? how? Well, coming from the place of, of like, what the hell do you mean? 
how are we supposed to do that? Like, I just didn't understand at that point in my life how that could even be possible and how we would do it or how it would be accurate. Like I was concerned with it being right in some Mm -hmm. way or like that I was getting the right information. And I didn't have that much trust for just what my inner being would tell me. Uh, It was just developing. Yeah. And so this was a huge step to it. She was like, well, we would do EMDR with tuning into just your impression of what it was like when you were in the womb. Uh-huh. And so we did talk a little bit about those things you're saying. Like right, because you were there. What was going on. There's yeah. the story we're told if we have a story. And then there's actually what happened. Right. Because you were there. And so we have the felt sense mm-hmm. if we can just allow it to come through. And so, yeah, we talked about how my mom would go to the park every day and cry because she was uh, really upset about her marriage and left someone behind in Hong Kong. Mm. She was in the States and she would go and cry because she missed him every day. And I remember asking my mom, like, were you excited to have me? What, what were your feelings about being pregnant? And she was like, I don't know, nothing. And I was so devastated, and, and, you know, <laughs> I was like nothing like you, you weren't like overjoyed or waiting for me. And I just had all these ideas of what I wanted, right? Which said a lot about what I was missing and where she was How at. did you find out the crying? Was that from your felt your impression or was, did she finally tell you? Well, she had told me that maybe five years prior mm. and just out of conversation, and I never thought anything of it. Mm. And so it, it did lead back to this um, healing work that I was doing. And so I was like, oh, this is what I know about it. And it did lead me to ask her more, um, which then in turn gave me the responses of, no, I, I don't know, nothing. I didn't think about anything. <laughs> no, I just cried every day, right? but nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. You remember that, but not anything else. So I, when I did tune into it, I, I felt horribly depressed mm. and like this was a dark, dark world. And I think, you know, now looking back at that work and just in general, I do think a part of me had already left. Like a yeah. part of me didn't come all the yeah. way. <laughs> and so it was like I had already, you know, a half part of me or some only some part of me was coming into this human form. Almost like a preemie because a lot of preemies are in two worlds. Oh, interesting. Can you say more? Well, I've I heard that. And sometimes it's not about like, I'm going to go and dwell on the past. It's more like if you can name it, it can explain your whole life and then you have more choice. Yes. Right. Um, it can free you from the things that it affected and it echoed outward. And then you're like, oh, I don't have to live by those bounds right. anymore. Um, I remember going to the NICU. Uh, a, a colleague had had a premature little little one. And I, I remember being in the room. Parents were around yeah. the incubator. So, you know, so much love and so much sweetness. And the nurse would come in and out. And I would notice like the little one, sometimes he'd open his eyes and he'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm out. And so I, it just seemed like his soul and spirit would come in check things out and be like, okay, the nurses, my body's got this handled, the, the you know medical team, my mom's got it handled. I don't know about those grandparents, but uh, okay, bye. And then he just like yeah, pop in yeah. and out like, um, like he wasn't totally invested 
and other people were keeping his body well and other things were keeping his body well, including his body, that the body has its own genius. Yeah. And I've heard it said that uh, preemies have a foot in two worlds, that it's in the world of the spirit and in the world of the earth. And I wasn't a preemie, <laughs> but that really hit home. So the idea that maybe that's why I relate to you so much is that you, how yeah. you said a part of you had already checked out. A part of you had yeah. already gone away. And now, right. And, and now you're making me wonder what, how that shows up in the family constellations mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if part of the baby, the new, new soul is, that's coming in is still in the other world, in spirit world, who are they with? And why are they there? There's something there. Perhaps. I don't know. I haven't exactly worked in that with that um, scenario. It, it hasn't exactly come up. Um, but I will tell you a very healing experience around this whole story of mine is that uh, one family constellation that I did with myself and have also facilitated for others when it's intuitively called upon and, and like what's needed is just curling up in a ball and the facilitator was like, everyone just gather around like it's a womb. And everyone surrounded me and like hugged me Wow! while I was curled up in a ball. And I mean, I know that some people do like rebirthing experiences. It wasn't like a prescribed rebirthing Mm -hmm. experience, but it was everything you're saying about the um, energetic field and the feeling sense that you're coming into and restoring and correcting that. And so everyone was surrounding me and I was, of course, bawling. And (laughs) the... The facilitator was like, everyone here loves you and is expecting and waiting for you to come. And you can come at your own pace, but they're just expecting and waiting for you. And they love you. And it was like the perfect, most magical thing ever. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, if you're listening to this, if you're out there listening to this, and this is really touching or tugging some part of you, um, listen to that. Because there may be something that your inner baby wants or is receiving around that image. And um, I don't know about you, Erin, but whenever we're working with infancy or pre-birth, it's such a tender. Yeah, and there aren't words. A tender place. It's such a profound felt sense. That must Was that re- incredibly reparative for you? Were you able to have it? Incredibly. You know, the interesting thing too, speaking of when you were saying it's not necessarily about going to the past and just rehashing it all for no good reason, what was going on around that time in my adult present day life was that I was getting ready to birth myself into healing work in the way that I wanted to, like my spirit wanted to and all of me wanted to, not just the clinical parts of me and not just the parts of me that do yoga but um, all of it together. And I was scared and I wasn't sure the world wanted it. And, Mm. you know, now it's like, well, that may or may not matter because it's part of my desire if the world wants it. But developmentally, it was something I needed to feel for myself. Absolutely. And it completely related to birth. And there are some theories um, that say how we come in how we gestated, how we come into the world can in many ways shape our lives. And like you were saying, you know, you have more mm-hmm. choice or the, the echoes are there, but then now that you know that 
you can have more clarity on how to move forward. Sometimes even just naming it. And just to feel that worth and feel that reception of love from the outside. It's such a different experience than feeling like, I don't know if the world cares about me or values me or do I even exist? (laughs) Those are all, you know, things that had gone on in me because of developmental disruptions and the lineage and all sorts of things. But, you know, speaking of that research you're saying, Erin, there's also, uh, it reminds me of some research that I was learning about when I was in grad school that I think it, it was in the EMDR research where some people found that people who killed themselves would kill themselves in a similar format as a birth trauma. Oh, so wow. So if it was like, uh, yeah, if it was a birth that was drug-induced, then maybe they OD'd on some oh, drugs. Or if the cord was wrapped around their neck, then I don't, I don't yeah. even want to say it, but I'm just, exactly. I just got... Or if there were forceps, right. If it was a breathing issue or heart rate stopping, that there was some mimicking that would go on later. Wow. If, if that you know, correlated, if, if someone was, obviously it's not causation, but right. they just found that correlation with people who had committed suicide. And so... And you can do empowering work around those. um, I've seen people do, you know, birth work on the table and, you know, where the, they still have, or where the swelling will come up in the head where the forceps were. Because that was very common um, up until a certain date to put mom to sleep and just pull the little one out with forceps or whatever. And, um, And I think up until the 50s, maybe early 60s, um, and it's, it's, it's in the crown. I don't know if you watched the show, the crown, but, um, I think her no. first two babies, you know, they, you know, they just, um, hand the babies to her after she wakes up. And, and then when she has Andrew, she's awake and pushing. Um, so there was, you can see where the cutoff was or where the new theories came in. Um, wow. but I've seen people on the, on the therapy table in, um, class for the clinical touch work where they're repairing the, how they came in and the swelling in the head where the forceps were touching and, and to just mm. even just gently place a hand there. Um, and, uh, uh, it was, I'll never forget this moment. Um, the instructor was doing a demonstration with one of the students and he had his hand where the what the forceps would have play, hit on her head or would have clamped down and what a way to come in mm-hmm. and yeah. I remember her her hand she's a grown woman and her hand came up and wrapped a couple of fingers around his thumb like a baby would <laughs> and I was just oh. like oh he's like did you see that and I was like you know oh I saw oh. that <laughs> no. it was so oh, fascinating wow it's yeah, it's amazing. So there is reparative work that can be done without having to harm oneself. Um, but Absolutely. I think the, the the patterns come up so that we not because life is harsh, but so that we can heal it in, in a place where we're more empowered mm-hmm. than maybe we were when we were coming into the world helpless. Mm-hmm. I'm not helpless. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to shift gears here and here, Erin. Um, because I'm also very interested in 
your work with supporting people when their gifts are opening up and turning on. And can you speak a little bit about what you mean by that so our, our listeners can understand what that means and also what kinds of things that people notice in themselves when their gifts are turning on? Yeah, and I I guess I just use the lingo and I don't even think that that doesn't make sense to everybody. Um, <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I think kids are born intuitive. We have we're in touch with energy. Um, animals in the wild have senses that in some ways we have, we turn off as humans. They have an intuition or a knowing or, and we have intuitions and knowings and some people have them more than others. And depending on what kind of level of acceptance there was maybe in the home or the community or the school, we may turn those gifts down um, mm-hmm. or they may just be dormant in us all our lives. and then we reach a point in say adulthood or adolescence when we start to come in touch with energy or feel energy or see auras um, or, or see that almost the matrix, whether we actually see a visual or kind of see it in a knowing understanding and it deserves support. <laughs> so that's what I mean yeah, when someone's gifts are turning on. They turn on in different ways and there's more and more permission on the planet. I think little ones are coming in way more in touch with energy. The, the newer generations are just, it, it's almost like they're high def babies that um, <laughs> high definition babies that they just, they already have their, <laughs> their skills and abilities built in and we're not going to teach it out of them. But as a, I'm, I think just this week I had four or five referrals from people whose energy gifts, whose awareness, whose spiritual aspects of self are turning on in different ways and they kind of don't know what to do with it. Or when you have that level of communication, it's it's important to get communicated with. <laughs> yeah. And you probably find this as an energy worker it's not work that can be done in a vacuum. It can feel isolating. And there are so many other people out there um, that can communicate with you about energy. And sometimes it's cool to talk to someone that came from a different tradition, someone who's maybe more Christian or more into angels or more into astrology. And my tradition, the training I went through, I, I actually dabbled in lots of schools. My agreement at the I actually attended a psychic school and the agreement was to only take classes at that school. But I, I was like Hermione and I double dipped and I would always, I would take <laughs> classes from schools around the country online while I was also taking classes in person um, just to see how other people did it. And I think it's important to have communication and have ongoing communication. I, I would guess I'm not musically inclined in any way, uh, but if you play the violin, it might be nice to play the violin with someone else or have a coach or. Uh, Absolutely. Just to have that support mm-hmm. and community, the, the feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the encouragement. And when, so one of the things I like to do with someone when their gifts are turning on is look at what are their strongest gifts. You know, are they intuitive? Do they, are, do they have the thing where they can hold an object and tell you the history of the object? Are they master manifestors? Are they um, empaths? Lots of people are empaths and where you can f- literally feel the emotion of another person. And I think that's hardwired into us and we can be more or less attuned to it. There's clairvoyance where you see images. There's clairaudience where you hear answers and you actually know that 
they're your answers as opposed to, or you know the difference between what's your voice and what's an other voice, uh, not to be confused with schizophrenia, which that is the official definition of schizophrenia as you hear voices and you um, mm-hmm. see visions and whatnot, but maybe the, the DSM-6 will, <laughs> will negotiate that. Um, yeah. But someone who is clear audience knows, oh, that's my higher self talking to me or you know, that's not a right answer for me. That's just um, fuzz. (laughs) That's just the microphone rubbing against my my sweatshirt. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, That's an inside joke with Candace and me because my microphone was rubbing (laughs) against my sweatshirt while we were doing the interview. (laughs) (laughs) We know we have it in. Love it. So communication is important. So when people come to me, um, I give them some communication and usually I just send them off on their own. And a, a friend of mine gave me a talking to and said, cause I have hangups about making people feel obligated and lots of coaches are saying, Oh, you have to sell packages. And I resist the living daylights out of selling packages because I feel like I'm more of a point of use kind of person and people know what they need and they'll, they'll come in if they mm-hmm. need something or they'll ask for a referral. <laughs> and my friend was like, no, 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 no you're helping people, you're giving them their first communication on turning their abilities on, or they're, you're giving them a, a psychic reading for the first time. And it's in that reading alone is helping them turn on their abilities. You can't just set them off and, and not at least leave the door open. I was like, oh, the door is always mm-hmm. open. She said, well, you need to make that clear because if you send them off with this new ability, they might feel a little crazy going back into the world. And um, so I've had to rethink yeah, I that. Think that ongoing support. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like so important because then, as you turn on and it enhances or it gets clearer, you're more plugged in. Different things. I I think different things can happen there. Yeah. What do you do with it? With uh, clients w- or with, with myself? With or? people that w- say their abilities are turning on, they reach out to you. What what do you do? Or is that like, is that a niche for you? I mean, I assume it is because you've turned yours on. Yeah, it's, um, I find that I have very intuitive clients in general and empathic clients. Um, I don't always get someone saying those words to me, but they get, I I get the words that um, they're feeling, they're getting more information or they're having different insights. How do they cultivate that or how do they cultivate their intuition or um, the ability to do any one of those things that you're saying? How do they use that? Because they want to. Usually I'm getting the people that want to use those gifts for some purpose Mm -hmm. that's helpful or joyful for them and and others around them. Um, But yeah, I just go with what they're experiencing and, and really validate it. That's like the biggest thing. Yeah. A lot of times people say, oh, isn't it weird that I get this? Wow, I have this image right now. It's so weird. You might think I'm weird. <laughs> and so I'm like deconstructing, like ripping off the weird band-aid. Yeah. <laughs> not weird at all. And it's like, it's not. <laughs> right? And and um, recently someone um, just felt like, wow, okay, if I take the weird idea off of my plate, then what can happen? And when she did, um, she found herself in so much flow and um, information 
but that she was actually very readily and easily navigating it. Nice. Naturally. Yeah. So, so she took the judgment piece off. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. To answer your question, I think it's just very different depending on where, with what they're coming in with and where they're at with it. I, I'm usually working with clearing away belief sets around it. That That's judgment or fear and why there's fear. And maybe that's to do with past life or present life or lineage. Um, and then that generally helps them feel at ease with the gifts. And then they can just be on more naturally. And then just letting, seeing how they can find the answer themselves. If they're like, well, what do I do with this? And they just feel into it. They're like, oh, okay, I do know what to do. (laughs) 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 So I I think what, you know, one of my major um, gifts with people is clearing the garbage. Yes. And it's not quite garbage. It's beautiful debris. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, um, we might see it as garbage, but it's clearing away all that stuff that is uh, preventing what's naturally wanting to come through. Nice. And yeah. then the natural gift can just be harnessed and shine. And I, I imagine that's what you're doing too, Erin. Oh, thanks. Completing pieces. I, I give a lot of permission, that, yeah. I think, is how mm-hmm. I, w- I would put it. And even just hearing, how, hearing mm-hmm. you talk, I'm like, oh, you know, since I left psychic school, I've actually become more intuitive because the, one of the reasons I learned so much. I'm so grateful to that school. And there were particular traditions and ways to do things, or that was my perception. And it was very much about six chakra and coming from your clairvoyance. And that's where your neutrality is. Don't come from your heart because then, you know, you're just going to be one with everyone. How are you going to know who you are? So I had all this judgment about heart and, you know, we're not into angels and we're not into this. And, um, and, and so it's a lot of limitations. And I've, I'm still unpacking that um, years later. I'm unpacking the, I guess, yeah. sort of the tradition, and and uh-huh. I'm and I'm not saying like that was my interpretation of <laughs> the rules plus my own resistance <laughs> to actually listening. Um, and, and I and so now it's like, well, do you know does does the Mexican place look like a better place to eat or do like, or do I feel like Thai food? (laughs) I know it's kind of a silly (laughs) thing or, um, or the GPS is a real thing, (laughs) a real daily thing. Intuitive eating. That's a big, you know, big piece of recovering, helping people recover from eating disorders is, you know, what is your body asking for and why? Um, Or what is it just asking for and let it. And, but even with GPS or something like, she's telling me to turn this way, but my gut says go that way. So, you know, I drive by psychic um, as well. (laughs) Like this just doesn't feel right to me. Um, And I feel like I have become more intuitive and had more permission and um, was fascinated by people who had the permission, you know, to just listen to like clear away the garbage, as you say, the beautiful garbage. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, Erin, what would you say is one thing people can do if they're out there listening and they want to harness their gift or intuition or their ability to see mm. energy, feel or see energy? What, what would you recommend? I'm kind of a, a learning junkie. So 
I would encourage maybe finding some information, whether it's through another person, through a video, through meditation, uh, through your podcast, through your talk show. <laughs> Thanks. Definitely. It's called Word Up, and she has awesome guests on there that I think are talking Including about this you. too, right? <laughs> yeah. That was really That's fun. Quite a show. Um, so if, if they're feeling a little lost about it, maybe getting some information and another step is getting community around it. If it's, um, a healer that they could go get an appointment with just to get a hello, or, you know, there's some wonderful non-denominational spiritual communities or denominational, you know, wherever, uh, wherever you're called to that, I think it's so important to be in community with others, even if it's just one friend who, speaks that same kind of energy language and love of energy mm-hmm. language to, to maybe not mm-hmm. be so alone in it because absolutely I, energy is meant to flow. Right. And um, energy is a currency yeah. and what does currency means to flow and, and to get communication on it and consider sharing your gifts with yourself or others. Those gifts are turning on for a reason. And, um, you know, it, they're trying to take you good places. I love that you said sharing it with yourself because that's very powerful mm-hmm. and very sweet. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess another, uh, another thing would be uh, getting grounded around it, that sometimes the energy stuff can feel a little uh, mm-hmm. like woo-woo or out there and it's sort of like a boat in the water, um, you can get tossed around a bit by the waves and whatever's going on in the world or whatever's going on at work, um, or in the home. And that stillness, Mm -hmm. that connection to the earth, like, like the meditation you did in Zion, that was so beautiful. Mm, um, That the stillness is a really great way to share the gift with yourself, that connection to the earth or whatever it is that gets you grounded and centered, um, and, and Mm -hmm. has you in an opportunity to have stillness. Uh, and and also know that sometimes there are plenty of things that will resist the stillness. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I want to go to the gym. And being at the gym <laughs> is easy. It's getting to the gym that sometimes is the hard part. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yep. And all the things that come up when you decide to have stillness and you're just moving through. Well, Erin, this is something um, we didn't talk about before. But as we're closing the show today, uh, if this is interesting to you, the idea I had was, would you do, or we could do a quick reading on, I, I hesitate to say reading for me because it's not what I do, but um, whatever you call it, sensing in or reading into reading the energy of whoever's listening, the community that's listening. Ah. At yeah. the moment that they're going to listen. Mm. Yeah, I see. You want to try yeah. that? Yeah, I'm sensing in. Okay, are you gonna do, are we going to do it together? We could. Uh, I, I don't mind to do it with you, but um, I'm also happy if you do want to do it by yourself. Either way. Can we do it together? I just yeah, love sure. reading with other people. It's Or, or taking intuitive glances. Yes, I like that. That's exactly what... Um, my thought was an intuitive glance. I love those words. And what I'm seeing just even before, even before you said the whole thing, um, 
I, I closed my eyes and I was seeing um, my little nephew's music school. So they've got some comfy places to sit and um, big, big open area to almost like a, a cross between a yoga room and a playroom and a, a music school. <laughs> mm. And I just see different people. Um, I see a lot of uh, females more like uh, more female than male. Um mm-hmm. And um, sitting on these comfy cushions and yoga mats and like listening intently. Your voice is very soothing. And ditto to you. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I see um, a few women in particular that are like, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Check. Check. Like checking <laughs> off <laughs> yeah. lists in their mind or checking off like, Yep, I got that. And so it's just validating like, yeah, I already knew that. I already knew that. I already knew that. Yeah. It's be snapping in the background. Um, <laughs> yeah. But hearing it made it so obvious that they already know. Yeah. It's like, I didn't even need to listen to that. I knew that already. But the hearing it and getting the communication on certain gifts or certain, it um, it looks like some things popped. I'm also seeing some people having... Um, insight around baby stuff around and getting curious mm-hmm. about their own births and gestations and and some people that have really wonderful births and deliveries and welcomings um, so i'll stop and ask you what what are you sensing a couple of things i feel i feel this sense of of some women being like, I am done. <laughs> I am just done. And uh, for whatever that means for them, mm-hmm. but there's this sense of um, shedding off something mm-hmm. that has been... Beautiful garbage. Yeah. <laughs> closing in on them mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sense some grief around that or other things around the baby stuff. And then the other feeling sense I get is um, that some people are experiencing or may experience different emotions around this conversation and may or may not be left with it and they may not have words for it. And I think I'm taking a deep breath as I say it, it feels really good to say it is that just it's just just a reminder if that is happening to anyone out there that um, it very well could be some pre-birth or nonverbal mm-hmm. stuff and to not be it may feel scary but to not be scared off by it because there's a way to name it there's a way to place it and heal it if it if it needs healing but um, the experience that Something is happening in my body, and I I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, and um, that uh, this isn't so much a reading as it is information. But um, when um, I interviewed uh, my touchwork instructor, he talked uh, about that verbal narrative, and when we have the baby stuff, the, mm-hmm. the things that happen in the womb or that happen in early life, um, that there will be these unexplained aches or pains or unexplained emotions. Um, and 
that's yeah. Think that might be what some of what you're speaking to. And more on the psychic plane um, and intuitive plane, this classroom I'm seeing is like an astral classroom where people gather and come in and out. And some are, um, it's almost a ritual to come to this classroom that you have created. And that um, we've kind of put a, a healing sphere around the globe and around the people that are listening to it now and will listen to it in the future and or mm, listening to it more immediately when it is released and then we'll be listening to it later. And um, that there's a community in this classroom that you have created on the astral plane where people come in and out of. Um, mm, I love that. And some, and I'm seeing some of the women um, in this room and um, some of the men are uh, in, and all across the gender spectrum uh, are mm-hmm. so, uh, some of the individuals who come in here are regulars and are like ready for your next, like waiting for the next um, release, waiting for say this episode or um, like the regularity of it. Mm-hmm. And um, that it is a place of community and is a place of communication on the astral plane and that um and that it can be communicated with even when this isn't playing that it's like a place to go and get resources or get a hello or get mm-hmm. cord into and be like hey got some support that yeah. there's a feeling of being part of something when listening to your podcast that you have created Thank a classroom you. so so it's a reading about the audience but it's also a bit about you too and what you're creating yeah, thank you. That's really helpful to hear that. Yeah. I can feel that mm-hmm. very much and I I love that. It's definitely what I hope that people feel from it and want want everyone to feel welcome in that community, in this community mm-hmm. and there's a place for all of you. Absolutely. Thanks, Aaron. Where where can people find you? Uh I know you're on YouTube. Aaron Deedling, right? Yes. Word up. Yes, that's yeah. my channel. My name is. We'll, we'll link it in the show Thank notes. You. Uh, you can take a look. Yeah. And my website. And your website. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's my name, www.aaronddeedling.com. Mm-hmm. And they can call. I don't know if you want me to leave the phone number, but it's in the US. So. That's okay. We'll put it in the show notes or in the, in the links so that people can reach you. Great. It's on the website too. Yeah. Good, good. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. I had so much fun. I learned a lot. I and, learned a lot. Um, of <laughs> it's course. <such> an adventure. <laughs> I never know where the conversation is going to go. And it takes all these, these switchbacks and turns and cool. And I learned so much. And I just, I just love being around your presence. I just love being around you. And even if it's while you're in Spain and I'm in, on, in Chicago on a snowy day, like I, it's just so oh, yummy yes. to get around you. I know I keep using that word yummy, but it is. <laughs> it is so yummy to be around you, Erin. Thank you so Thank you for having me on the show. What, what a treat. Thank you so much to Erin who was on the show today. And for you out there listening, thanks for joining us. It's just so wonderful when you talk with somebody or you hear a conversation and you feel like you're inspired to learn more about something. I hope that this episode did that for you today. And if you have any questions, reach out to me or Aaron. Um, We're happy to connect with you. I'm so inspired by Aaron's 
attention to detail in the science of things as well as her expansiveness in intuiting information, not to mention the touch work and the neurosequential stages of development and pre-birth stuff. Ah, I love that work. So I'd love to hear what excites you about this conversation. Um, Feel free to reach out again and take care until next time. I look forward to connecting with you again on the Embody Podcast. 